This episode is brought to you by Bumble. So you want to find someone you're compatible with, specifically someone who's ready for a serious connection, totally open to having kids in the future, is a tall rock climbing Libra, and loves rom-coms with vegan pizzas on Tuesdays just as much as you do. Bumble knows that you know exactly what's right for you. So whatever it is you're looking for, Bumble's features can help you find it. Date now on Bumble. Welcome to the Successful Farming Podcast. I'm Jody Henke. In this episode, you're going to hear how one woman's passions and agricultural experiences as a child and in college has led to her career. Brandy Buzzard is the communications director for the Red Angus Association of America. She also advocates for the well-being of animal agriculture, owns a ranch in Kansas, has a family, and blogs about those experiences. Successful Farming's Bill Spiegel talks with Brandy and the many paths she has taken on her journey. Tell me a little bit about you, like where you grew up, how you got involved in agriculture. Well, I have like a pretty boring, I guess, background, I guess. I I live in the same county I grew up, which I love. I, I grew up in Anderson County around Colony, Kansas, and now I live in Greeley. I grew up like most rural Kansas kids. I was in 4-H and FFA and we have what I would call a a hobby ranch. Had a lot of horses and we had 4-H animals and we didn't have a cow calf herd or stalkers or anything like that in terms of like production cattle, production beef production, but we always had rope and calves or rope and steers. So we had cattle, but we didn't use them, you know, I guess we sold them and they went on to the beef chain. So I guess there's that, but we were not like a production ag facility. You know, I went to Fort Scott Community College and then on to K-State. I always knew that I wanted to be involved in agriculture. You know very few ag careers, you know, like ag teacher, veterinarian, maybe ag lender, insurance salesman. Like those are kind of the ones that you know. So I just kind of figured I would settle into one of those. I was going to be a vet and I shadowed a lot of vets when I was in high school. And then I realized I would have to do surgery and that weighed way too much on my shoulders to think about having to do surgery on a little cat. So I decided not to do that. And then um, I found my way into animal science at K-State and got my master's there as well. And I've always loved science, but I kind of love communicating science. And I figured out maybe I should have added an ag comm major. I figured that out a little too late. And so uh, my background is in animal science and I have a little bit of communication, one class. And so now I'm the communications director for the Red Angus Association of America. And I get to work with cattle producers every day. um, And I do my, you know, blogging and and advocacy, you know, in my quote unquote spare time. So you grew up on a, on a small farm operation, your mom and dad, did they, did they farm or ranch and did you have siblings? No, my parents were not, we didn't farm anything. We had like maybe 25 or 30 acres. We didn't farm anything. We had a lot of pasture for the horses and the cattle or a lot. I mean, 25 acres. My mom and dad both rodeoed like my brother and I do. My mom grew up in Kansas City and she met my dad when they were, I think, called rodeoing. And that's how the rodeo thing came in. Then when you were in high school or before high school, 4-H, was that kind of your entry point then into a lot of the activities with, with agriculture? I would say, yeah, probably so. I mean, you can join 4-H when you're seven in Kansas. So we had steers and stuff for my dad to rope and we had 
the horses and stuff. So I was kind of lightly in it, but 4-H is where, you know, I was introduced to the showing cattle and, and having pigs and like the different projects and things like that. So that's probably my first introduction into, I guess, a career in agriculture maybe. But yeah, I mean, a lot of it started in 4-H. I was in 4-H for like 12 or 13 years. So. And then FFA too? Yeah, FFA in high school. We didn't have a middle school FFA where I went to school. So yeah, I was, loved FFA. I loved all the competition aspect of it. I did every competition you could do except for, I think I didn't, I only did meets judging one year because I just really hated being that cold. Um, public speaking, I, I credit the Green Hand competition, the, the Creed competition and public speaking with really giving me a lot of the experience and the footwork that I use today in, you know, when I publicly speak at producer events. And then also when I work, used to work at NCBA, I did a lot of public speaking and, you know, FFA helped and 4-H as well. Both of those organizations helped me with that. Um, I was a chapter officer for a lot of years. When I worked at the Beef Cattle Institute, I actually, for about four years, I coordinated the Kansas FFA convention and I really loved that as well. So FFA has been a big part of my life. So rodeo, I know is, is one thing in the research that I've done then for this interview, you're still active in rodeo. I mean, I don't know how old you are, but you've been out of college for a few years. So you've had a pretty doggone long rodeo career. So tell me a little bit about what you do and and your passion for rodeo. I went to my first rodeo and was two weeks old. So I was born at the end of April and that's when rodeo season started in the mid eighties and really have done that my whole life. There was probably a handful of years there, a nine to 13 or 14 where I didn't, I just really wasn't into it that much. But then about the freshman or sophomore year in high school, I got back into it really heavy and haven't really stopped. I used to run barrels and rope and now I just rope. I sold my barrel horse, Um, but I love it. If I could just take care of cows and rope every day, I would just do that. I like being active. I just love it. It's hard to explain like when you have a passion for something, why you have a passion for it. I just, I just do. I mean, the same reason Patrick Mahomes loves to play football. I assume he's getting paid a little bit more than you, but yeah, he's getting paid a lot more than I am. I mean, for me, it's not about the money. Like, yes, I want to win when I enter, but a bad day roping is better than a good day sitting on the couch. So for someone like me, who's, who's never rodeoed, I don't even know that I've been to a rodeo. I, oh, I, I, I want you to try to try to explain to me just what it is that really drives you in the arena. I really have no idea. So I, I know how difficult it is to, to try and explain. Articulating feelings. Um, I'm much better at writing them. I don't know. It's like, it's like a little kid who starts playing t-ball when they're like five and then they love it and they play t-ball and coaches pitch and then they love that feeling of the team and then they play town team and traveling team and then all of a sudden they're play for the Royals like they're not doing it for millions of dollars they're doing it because they love it because it's ingrained in them it's always been part of them and I guess the same is for me it's it's always been a part of me it speaks to the western heritage of my family like my dad and my grandpa it's heritage and competition and love of horses and all kind of rolled into one. So you rodeoed in high school. Did you also in college? I did. Yes. Both at Fort Scott and I was on the rodeo team at K-State. If you're on a collegiate rodeo team, then what does that mean? I mean, do you go, do you travel? Do you go to other States? Do you load up your stock trailer with a, with a horse? I mean, how does that work? So you're on a team, 
we have like traveling partners. So we'd load up our horses generally, depending if the rodeo was like Friday night, Saturday, Sunday, you know, we'd leave on like Friday afternoon or something like that, or, you know, maybe Thursday night, depending when we needed to be there. Rodeos were all in Oklahoma or Kansas. That's the region that we were in both K-State and Fort Scott. You know, you do one run in the long round. And then if you're in the top 15, you come back and run another one. Maybe it's top 10. I can't remember. It's been a long time since I was called rodeo. Um, you know, and you're part of a team, but you're competing against your teammates. So like one of the gals that I hauled with when I was at Fort Scott, like we were in each other's weddings. We're still very close friends, but at the rodeo, like we were competing against each other, but that didn't really matter. I think that's one of the really awesome things about rodeo is that all your friends at the rodeo, you are competing against, you're trying to beat them. But as soon as I come out of the arena, I'm cheering for them. Rodeo was a gigantic family. I want my friend to do just as well as me. And if she beats me, she beat me. I'm still happy for her. You know, we're not ever cheering for someone to throw the rope in the dirt or to hit a barrel. We watch each other's kids when the other one is getting ready or is in the arena. That's a big aspect of it is rodeo as a family. I got my tie into advocacy by defending against animal rights activists. And I felt that I could learn and, and be the best for agriculture by getting a degree in that animal well-being and behavior department. So we got a professor there and I was her first grad student in that degree program at K-State. And then in January, 2011, my husband and I, we got married and then moved to Australia for a year for about 11 months. He was a Fulbright scholar. So we went to Australia. You have to be able to speak the language of your country you're going to, to do research in. And he only speaks English. So that narrows it down quite a bit. Um, <laughs> we had to go somewhere where they had pigs and they spoke English. So that narrows it down a lot. And we were there from February, 2011 through December. So there's an extra year in there where I was editing and writing. I mean, I wasn't receiving any graduate assistantship during that time. I was basically employed by several jobs in Australia. I was like a tutor class assistant. And then I worked in a lab doing lots of rumen fluid collection and analysis and heat stroke trials and stuff with sheep. And um, I did that for the whole year of 2011 and then wrote my thesis when I had time and then came back and defended in 2012 and got my master's then. I want to go back to your undergrad years then, because at some point there had to be a trigger that got you really interested in defending animal agriculture. That's a very clear moment in my mind. So when I was at K-State, the K-State Collegian, which is the student newspaper, one of the staff journalists was writing a lot of opinion op-eds that were negative about agriculture. So I remember specifically her writing stuff about anti-meat and meat being bad for the environment. But the one that sent me over the edge was the one that said that milk caused ear infections and osteoporosis. And I was like, I've had it, this is it. So I wrote a letter to the editor and sent it in to them. And I paid zero attention to how long the letter to the editor should be. I think they won them like 200 words and mine was like maybe six or 700. <laughs> and they wouldn't print it for obvious reasons because it was too long. So at that point I was kind of like, well, what the heck do I do with this column I just wrote? So I started my blog. And from there on out, I've blogged. I've been blogging for over a decade. And then I added a Facebook page and an Instagram. And I built out my blog to have like other website things on it. You know, not just a blog, it has other pages. And yeah, that's, I guess the rest, as they say, is history, as cliche as that sounds. How can we find the blog? It's uh, buzzardsbeat.com. Buzzardsbeat.com. If you Google Brandy Buzzard, you'll find it because I'm the only one. <laughs>
<laughs> that I know of. There might be another Randy Buzzard out there. I don't know. But if there is, she does not have a blog. It's hard to forget someone who is loud and has reddish hair and whose last name is Buzzard. <laughs> Whether you want to or not, it is hard to forget. I unfortunately, with the name Bill Spiegel, you know, I, I could do <laughs> pure BS, but Blake Shelton beat me to that one. So um, I like that, though. Pure BS. I like it. It's already trademarked. I, uh, you should have tied I, I that up it. years ago. I know. I didn't even think about that. But yeah. So Brandy, with um, you earning an animal welfare and well-being graduate degree, because your passion was triggered somewhat as an undergrad, where did you think you were going to go with that? I did not know where I would go with it in terms of career. So the, the degree program in animal well-being, behavior, and health was the name of the degree program. And I didn't know where I was going to go. I wanted to learn more about that and about the biological tendencies and patterns behind it because animal well-being affects production and carcass traits and reproduction and things like that. So I didn't really know where I wanted to go with it. I just knew that that's what I wanted to learn about. I wanted to learn. I was craving education about that. From that, at the time, there were not a lot of career outlets for a degree program like that other than like being a professor. So going on and getting your PhD or welfare consultant or, you know, something like that, working for a packer. Now there's that kind of position at lots of different places. I knew going into my master's program that I was going to want to also write. I love writing and communicating. And I love that I understand what I'm writing about, I guess. So I didn't really know what career I wanted to have after that. I just knew that that's what I wanted to learn about was that degree. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So then um, BCI, what is that? What did you do there? It's the Beef Cattle Institute. I think my official title is communications coordinator. So I wrote press releases and I helped with beef quality assurance stuff and helped with like if someone called and needed help with BQA online or something, I helped with that. So I was able to get my foot in the door in terms of like, working in the beef industry, which is what I knew I wanted to do. Once I started the advocacy, that blog, I knew that I wanted to be in beef production somehow or be in the beef industry. And then what'd you do after that? I went to the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. And what did you do there? I started out as a manager of issues communication. So I did a lot of media monitoring, watching for negative articles about cattle or beef. Um, If a video popped up that was negative, remember the days of the undercover videos, you know, when that was happening, I looked for those. We had a website called Beef Facts and it was kind of like a myth busting site. So I wrote blog posts for that. Um, I did issues management, you know, like helping states react when there was an issue in their state or when, you know, something big happened in the news that was negative beef, you know, crafting messages, help training, media spokespeople for that kind of thing. It was very much an issues and crisis management type role. Also a big part of what I did was advocacy. They had the Masters of Beef Advocacy Program that had been going for maybe three or four years. And I started working on that and working with members and doing the newsletters and things. And then I eventually kind of was the lead person on that in terms of creating new modules, member engagement, launching new training programs, that kind of thing. I started as the manager issues communications, but I left as the associate director of issues communication. I left in August of 17 and I've been with Red Angus ever since. And at Red Angus, what is it that you do? I am the director of communications. So then 
through all these activities, you have had a social media presence. And I think your agricultural advocacy work, Mm -hmm. I think, has been pretty stellar over the years. It was not always stellar. (laughs) Well, it was not among us has has come out and started doing something that we're passionate about and been just, you know, it's been totally groovy from day one. Right. I don't know. So I kind of just want to get into that, though, Brandy, because um, that's how I first became aware of who you were. I kind of saw this for lack of a better word, and forgive me if I say maybe a little brash in some of your early postings yeah. on Twitter and things. Yeah. Um, I mean, I guess, can you give me a year? <laughs> was this in 2020 or was it? No, no, this was years ago. So your social media presence, you started your blog then when you were an undergrad and it's still going today? It is still going today. So 12 years, well, 11 years, that's a pretty doggone long time to keep a blog going. So how often do you update that? When I was in like undergrad and grad school, it was like two or three times a week. And then I realized I was being brash and, um, (laughs) I apologize. uh, No, it's accurate. It's okay. I have matured and changed the way I advocate and matured as a person. I'd like to think and have learned more about communication and rhetoric. And so, yeah, it needed to change. When I first started, I was probably posting like three times a week, but I wasn't reaching outside of, you know, the wind tunnel of ag. Somewhere probably like after we got married and I didn't have uh, cows yet, it was hard to find stuff to post about because I wanted to stand up and be a voice for agriculture and, and beef, but it's hard to be a voice for beef if you don't have cattle. Blogs are still important, but I don't feel like people read them as much as they used to. So I don't blog just for the sake of there being a blog post up. I blog with quality. I am always doing one a month. Sometimes I'll get two a month up there. So, but I don't blog unless I have something what what I feel is valuable to add to the interwebs. That's something that a lot of people don't get right is that they feel like they have a blog, so they need to post something. But there's that kind of fine line between having content, fresh content, and then having good content. But that message still needs to get out there, right? So the need for frequency, but the need for good messaging too. How do you find that mix? Well, I mean, so when I first started blogging, I was 23. I was not married. I did not have a kid. So I was blogging a lot about like issues because that's what I found really interesting was issues and animal welfare. And I still find those things really interesting. However, I feel at this point now, almost 12 years later, I connect with people better as a rancher who is also a mom. So a lot of my content is now about assuaging concerns that other moms my age might have about what their kids are eating or vaccinations or using antibiotics in agriculture. So my posts are less frequent, but I really do feel like they're more meaningful because they serve a purpose rather than just being out there for fodder. The purpose of them is to help people have more confidence. And I will admit it was when I started my blog, I want to blog and I want people to see that I'm writing things. Yes. I wanted to help people learn about agriculture and stand up for it, but I wanted to do it for me. And I think that's something that, you know, we have to be cognizant of in, I guess, advocacy is who are we actually doing it for? Are we doing it for ourselves? Are we doing it for agriculture as a whole to promote the industry? So I can honestly say that now when I'm blogging, it is to help people learn more about where their food comes from, to help them be confident in the things that farmers and ranchers are doing and 
you know, hopefully for a mom, you know, who's walking through the grocery store, not to see something on a food label that scares her half to death. So, you know, those are my, the goals with the blog. And if it doesn't fit those things, then I, I don't write it. What kind of impact do you think you've had on your audience then? Have you gotten any, any feedback on, Hey, you know, this was really helpful to me or, Hey, I think you're full of it and let's, let's get into it. <laughs> Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Well, both. Um, I, I do get comments from people. I'm trying to find one because I saved one the other day. It made me feel really good to have someone say something nice. But, you know, I got a comment from someone every once in a while. I get something that says like, here, I'm going to read it. I found it. You know, I'm grateful for the, all the information and education you share about GMOs and how much we need them in agriculture to keep the world fed. I don't get something like that every day. But when I do get that, maybe it's every other week or something like that solidifies that all the effort I'm putting into helping people be confident, it works. And and I get a lot of comments that like, you're wrong. I, I've been called a bad mom more times than I could count. I have had email threats sent to me. So I get a lot of the negative, but you know, when I get one of those positive, that really affirms for me that I'm making an impact. I, I, I want people to not be scared of their food. And when I get comments like that, that really solidifies that I'm doing something right on that day. <laughs> so if I can replicate what I did on that day, I'm going to try to keep doing it. What kind of traction do you think you've gotten? I mean, I don't know if you want to get into numbers of people who read your blog posts. Feel free to share if you wish. Like, oh, um, has your audience grown and has it, where are you at with traffic or do you even care? I do care because you want to know that what you're doing is worthwhile. I don't know how many views I've had over the past 30 days. Honestly, I don't pay that much attention to it probably as I should, because the blog is probably not my biggest. It's a landing point, but I probably use, I use Facebook as the one that I'm posting on almost every day. That's kind of like the hub. That's where I put my posts from the blog. That's where I put photos that I also share on Instagram. And that is where I'm sharing, you know, I have the largest audience on my Facebook page. I've got almost I've got close to 15,000 people following my Facebook page. So that is the hub of it all. That's where I'm getting a lot of that feedback. In terms of traffic, I mean, an average post probably gets maybe three or 4,000 views. The post that has gotten the most traction was obviously the open letter I wrote to Congresswoman Ocasio-Cortez. That was almost two years ago in 2019. And that post, since it's gone up, has been seen about 290,000 times. It's had 290,000 views. I wish every post had had that many views, but that's just not the way it goes. I actually don't because that thing crashed my blog like probably 15 times in a three-day period. And that was really stressful, but the numbers matter, but the comments telling me that, you know, I appreciate you teaching us about agriculture or you sharing your story of ranching. That's the stuff that really resonates. The, the numbers are nice as a pat on the back, but the people feeling more confident in their food, that's the trophy. That's cool, Brandy. Did you get that? I mean, I think that a lot of people start to have this presence because they want to be the next pioneer woman. They want to be the next big thing. 
And I think that you have found the right niche, right? I mean, that you're real and, and you've let that reality kind of drive your audience as opposed to saying being a, a young gun who wants to be an advocate and is doing it for the wrong reasons. Does that make any sense? Thank you. I think that makes sense. I don't know that I started out being an advocate thinking I'm going to be the next big thing because that was a far shot and I didn't know what the next big thing was. And advocacy was just kind of, there were a couple in South Dakota who had kind of forged the way and other people were starting to do it, but it was not this like gigantic thing that it is now. But, you know, that's just not my goal now. I want to preserve this way of life that I get so that my daughter and her kids, if they want to do this, they can. And for that to be a viable option, I have to stand up for what I believe in and for our ranch. And that involves addressing people's concerns about cattle and beef and agriculture. And this is the way I know how to do that. So I guess it is self-serving in the fact that, hey, this is the truth about agriculture. <laughs> Leave us alone and let us do our thing. So about that, I mean, you had the open letter to AOC in 2019. Was there any response from her? Um, her no, she did not contact me, unfortunately. I never heard back. I do know that she received the letter because Representative Marshall, who was a representative at the time, and he called me on the phone and said, you know, he appreciated what my words and if there's anything he could do to help, you know, he would do that. And I said, can you please deliver a letter to her office? Can you make sure it gets to her? It was really hard for me to get a hold of her because her email address wasn't available to people who aren't in her district, which really made me mad at the time, but I understand why she's a pretty divisive character. <laughs> I can kind of understand how that feels. And so I had emailed it to the only email address I could find available for her, but I wasn't sure that it would get there. I actually emailed her before I ever put it on my blog, but then he called me probably four or five days after it, you know, went live and stuff. And he said that he would make sure that a copy of the letter was delivered to her office. And I trust that he did that. And she never got back to me. I'm not really surprised. I am disappointed. I felt like my letter was very respectful and tried to be very open-ended of not criticizing her, but helping her understand like farmers and ranchers want to be a part of the conversation. Please let us be part of it. She never responded to me, but probably better is that she reached out to Dr. Frank Mitloner, who is like the world's renowned ag climate scientist. He works, he is at uh, UC Davis and she did reach out to him and have a phone call with him and learn stuff. So her reaching out to him is way better than her responding to me. I mean, I'm not a climatologist. I still think it's a win. I mean, the Green New Deal didn't go anywhere, but I think it's a win that she was prompted by this backlash to reach out to him. Something that you and I talked that we weren't going to get into politics here, but I want to ask you this question. I think it's something that, that we're going to have to face at some point. I've heard a lot of people concerned about the Green New Deal and the negative impact it's going to have on production agriculture. And frankly, I haven't read through it enough to, to know that that's going to be the case or not going to be the case. But I do believe there is a population of young people who are into a lot of the facets of, of the Green New Deal. And so I think one of the things I'm proud about what you did is that you opened agriculture up to having a seat at the table, because I think we have right. to. I believe that's going to come down the pike at some point. And if agriculture stands here and says, we're doing everything correctly, and we don't need to listen to a New York congresswoman 
I believe that's bad form on our part as an industry. I'm curious you know, how, how you feel about that. Yeah, I think, so on the topic of people in New York having feedback, I don't know about other food producers, but I'm guessing there's a whole lot of beef eaters in New York. If someone has a concern about what we're doing on ranches and farms, then I think we need to listen to them. And, and I don't think that we need to listen if they're being hateful or, or being rude or accusing us of animal abuse or things like that when unfounded claims. But if someone has a sincere concern about we're concerned about what you're doing, what's happening at the water quality, we're concerned about the health for our family. I'm concerned about water. I'm concerned about the health of my family. We need to remember that everybody has the commonality that we all want safe and healthy food. And when you break it down to that basic level, we need to be understanding that people have concerns. Congresswoman Ocasio-Cortez did not grow up on a farm. She doesn't know about like soil management or rotational grazing. She doesn't know about any of that. Like if someone in a city is showing interest, we need to listen to that. And we can disagree with them. Absolutely. But it's not reasonable for us to completely shut out the input of people that we don't agree with and then expect those same people to listen to our input when they don't agree with us, if that makes sense. Communication is a two-way highway. Yeah, I, I don't know that I can say it better than that. It's not reasonable for us to expect policymakers in Kansas or in Washington, D.C. to listen to farmers and ranchers if farmers and ranchers aren't willing to listen to feedback and concerns from other people. So that letter to Representative Ocasio-Cortez, you may not have gotten to her hmm. directly as you may have wished, but I mean, gosh, you got on MSNBC and uh, I mean, that, that's pretty cool. Tell me how that kind of came about. Oh man, it was like the February 11th or 12th. I posted the letter like on Friday night or a Saturday morning or something. And the following like Tuesday or Wednesday, my husband was gone and I was on the couch, like scrolling Instagram. And I got this direct message on Instagram. It was a message from Vaughn Hilliard. And he's like, hey, I'm with MSNBC. We are doing stories about farmers and the Green New Deal and yada, yada, yada. And we're wondering if we come to your ranch. And I'm like, oh, well, the Kansas City MSNBC wants to come, you know, from Kansas City. And I was like, here's my email. You know, I'm interested. Could you send me some more information? And then I realized like, this is MSNBC from Washington, D.C. or New York, whatever. Like, this is real. And I called my husband and he was like, you got to do it. You got to. This is the chance to get a real rancher voice about conventional beef production in front of a way non-ag audience. So I did it. He and two of his crew came and. I took them up to see the cows. We talked about DDGs. We talked about rotational grazing. We talked about how as ranchers, we care a lot about the environment because I live in it. I want clean air because I'm breathing it. I want my family to be able to ranch for generations. And we just had really great conversations. I explained that farmers and ranchers want to be part of the conversation. We live it every day. We have experiences and stories to share. And the next day he and the crew came back because he was going to do like a live lead in for the pre-tape segment. And then a, that was the day, the day that they were here for it to actually air. I think that was the day President Trump declared a national emergency so he could do something with the wall. I'm nearly certain it was that day. So it all got pushed, obviously, like it didn't happen that day. I made him breakfast. I made them bacon and eggs and made them drink cow's milk because <laughs> they had to eat all 
animal proteins all they hear and we had fruit too and then they left and then it didn't air for like another week because of all this national emergency thing that the president had declared and then it was on air i was frustrated with how many people in the ag community told me i should not do the msnbc interview or that said well too bad it wasn't fox news well i don't hello the people who watch fox news are already eating a lot of beef so as it turns out msc i mean it was it's great. If I hadn't written the letter in a respectful way, that would not have happened, I don't believe. Now, coincidentally, about a month later, the blog post got a resurgence. A really large page on Facebook shared it. And then Fox News did call me and I did a Fox News interview like this. I was not sitting on my couch, but it was 3.30 in the morning and I did Fox News. And then the president's office noticed it. And I went to the White House in April. Yep, I have been to the White House. I have been to the White House. I have been in the Roosevelt Room directly across from the Oval Office. I've spoken with senior officials of the White House about farmers and ranchers' role in a sustainable and how beef is a sustainable solution and we care about the environment, stuff like that. I didn't know that. Great research, Bill. He (laughs) (laughs) failed miserably on that. It's okay. Sometimes I forget. I was doing an interview a couple months ago. The question was, what do you call your biggest accomplishment? And what I answered was, which I'm not ashamed of, is that my daughter will randomly say things like, Jesus loves us, mama. We're, you know, we have raised our daughter in the church and I'm very proud of that. And I got off the interview and I was telling Hyatt, my husband, what I said my biggest accomplishment was. And he was like, you've been to the White House. (laughs) I was like, I forgot that I had been to the White House. It doesn't change my answer. I still think my four-year-olds having that faith is more important. But I had forgotten that I had been to the White House. So anyway. There's so much that I really want to ask you, but I haven't asked you about your daughter or your husband. And I think that every mom would say, even if they've had a chance to go to the White House, that raising their children is the most important job in the world. I don't well, want to put words in your mouth. I'm not that kind of mom. Um, <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> it is a really important job. I want my daughter to, so she's four. Her name is Oakley. I mean, it is, it's obviously a very important job. So I'm hesitant to say that it's the most important job simply because I don't ever want to be looked at as like just a mom. So I have like a hard time swallowing my pride and saying, that is my most important job, but it is. I have been blessed with a healthy child who it is my job to make sure that child is kind to other people of all walks of life and understands agriculture, but also how to work with people. I mean, it's my job to raise this child into a good human. Tell me about Hyatt, first of all. What what does he do? Where's he from? He's how did he get from- to Greeley, Kansas? He got to, he, well, he got to Greeley, Kansas because of me. He is from Northwest Ohio. He came to Kansas to go to Butler Community College to judge livestock. And then he transferred to K-State and after his two years, and that's where we met was at K-State. He works for a Canadian company and he leads the U.S. division for a swine technology company. They sell really technologically advanced pig feeders for sows and group housing and does nutrition consulting and things like that. So tell me about the ranch then, what all it includes. Because I think some of my favorite posts are seeing you out in the feed truck or I don't know, maybe oh. it's the tractor with your daughter. Is oh, yeah. January 1st, maybe? Was that yeah, right? we do every New Year's. I mean, we okay. feed the cows together all the time, but I always make sure we take a picture on New Year's so I can yeah. like document it. 
I think it's almost like 62 acres or something like that. It's not huge. We lease, you know, lease or rent most of the land that we run cows on. So ideally I don't have cows here very often at all. They're either on summer grass from like May through the end of October. And then they're on winter pasture, you know, from like January 1st through May 1st. So it actually like a long time ago, I think Woodrow Wilson's personal airline pilot lived here. And um, yeah, it's got cool history. I can find out the exact person. I think it was Woodrow Wilson, but it's just a little ranch here in Kansas. It's got some barns and stuff on it. And we've put in feed bunks and shades and stuff. Cause we keep, you know, like bread heifers here and stuff. So we have to have some way to take care of them. And so you have cows, calves, calves. like cow calves. We own a high bar cattle company, H I G H bar cattle company. And we are a purebred Gelvy and balancer seed stock operation. So we raise and sell bulls. You have some, some beef then that you sell too, correct? Yeah, we do. I mean, the primary business is the seed stock, but we do retain some calves and feed them out for freezer beef. Uh, we have a few commercial cows anyway, because we started out with commercial cattle and have slowly grown into seed stock. So the commercial calves that look like they're going to grow well and have the good genetics, we'll keep them and feed them out. I think, you know, maybe we fed out eight or nine this year because that was a, you know, this was a special year. And then we sell some calves onto the grid. I have no desire to try to market 20 head of feeder beef, <laughs> freezer beef every year. That's mm-hmm. a lot of work though. Mm-hmm. But the, the primary part of the business is the seed stock. Okay. No pigs then. No pigs. Yeah. In a uh, garden, I presume. We have the horses. Yep. Horses, a garden. I've got chickens most of the time. My husband doesn't like the chickens. You're I don't kind know. kind of living the dream, aren't you? Really? I think so. I mean, I don't know who else's dream it would be, but I really like it. You've got some great, great experience to share with people. And I'm elated that I got the chance to visit with you today. Oh, well, I'm honored that you asked. I really appreciate the opportunity to talk with you. A big thanks to Bill Spiegel and Brandy Buzzard. And thank you for listening. For Successful Farming, I'm Jody Henke.